Well, let's prepare to get into God's Word tonight. And we're going to get into how to renew our mind. We're going to become practical things tonight. We're getting into the, really the heart of what this course is, is all about. So let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for this wonderful time of praise and of worship. And we just celebrate that you are a great God and you have done great things. And you've given us a mind. A mind and our minds are far greater than we even begin to think they are. Lord, sometimes we complain about our minds, that we're losing them. We complain that they don't work right but it is the most marvelous computer ever designed. It is still so much better than any computer man can come up with because it's man that's designed the computers. But you're the designer of the mind. And Father, we thank you that your word gives us understanding of how you intended it to operate and for what purposes you gave it to us. And so, Lord, as we look into your word tonight, we ask you for understanding. Your word says to seek understanding and with understanding to get understanding. And so we ask you for that, and we ask the spirit of wisdom tonight to impart that, to open our eyes, our understanding, that we may truly have a greater understanding of how our mind works, that we may be the masters of our mind instead of our minds being the masters of us. And so we thank you for that grace in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, just to remind, just because it's been a week or so, uh, this is a course on renewing the mind, and the basis of this, underst- of this teaching comes out of Romans chapter 12, verse 2, which says that we are to not, tells us something not to do. We're not to be transformed, we're not to be, uh, we're not to be uh, conformed to this world. That means to allow the pressures of life to press us in and make us think and talk and act just like the world thinks and talks and acts. Instead, what we are to do is to be transformed, a very different word, by the renewing of our mind. The word conformed, which is what we're not to do, is a word that in the original Greek language implies a pressure from the outside to make you look and act on the outside or to keep you acting like who you really are. The word transformed, which is what we are to do, is a word that means to literally take which is on the inside of you and bring it to the outside so that other people can receive the benefit of it and you can receive the benefit of it. And then we went and looked at a long list that was by no means an exhaustive list, a list of things that the Word of God says God has already done for us. When we came to Christ, if you've come to Christ, if you've received Christ, the kingdom of God has come within you. And we looked at some of those attributes of the kingdom of God, peace, joy, and all the things, the blessings of God, you know, the blessings of being a child of God, the blessings of being the child of a king. You are royalty. You understand that? You have a royal father that makes you royalty. And then the real question is, but if all that's in us, how much of that are we really experiencing in our life? And that's the part that's got to come to the outside. Paul talks about working out your salvation. And it's not working to earn your salvation. It's taking the salvation that's been put in you. And that word salvation means more than just getting to heaven. It means all the kingdom of God that's been put in you and working that so that it comes to the outside. And so the Bible tells us the process of doing that in Romans 12 too, is by the renewing of our mind. It's not by prayer. Prayer is an important thing to do. Prayer we need, desperately need to do. Prayer does all kinds of things, but we are transformed. This change takes place by learning how to think differently. That's what renewing the mind means. And so that's what this is all about. And we've gone and we've tried to locate our mind. And we've seen that these are the three parts of man, spirit, soul, and body. Spirit comes from the spirit world. That's where God's kingdom is. That's where, that's the eternal part of you. That's the real you on the inside. The body is the house that they live in. That's the part that we're the most familiar with. They don't have any natural contact with each other because they're from two different realms. So God gave a third part to us. That's our soul. And that's your personality. It's made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And it is the bridge that connects those together. Then we're not going to go into detail about that. Then we looked at your soul, which is the important part of you for this study, and that's made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And your emotions, we understand what those are. Your will is the part of you that determines where you're going to go and what you're going to do. And then your, your, your mind is the part we're looking to study. And the reason is because your mind is the avenue to influence your will. The mind is the avenue to influence your will. And then last time we talked about because of that, there's a battle that goes on because God wants to express himself. God wants to communicate what his kingdom is like. God wants to carry out his will in this earth, and he can only do that through bodies that are in this earth. And that is what the, why the church is still here. 
So God wants to express Himself, express His will, perform His miracles, speak into this world, and He has to do it through His church and through our bodies, our physical bodies, which is why we can't just sit and meditate. We actually have to go do things for Him and allow Him to do things in us and through us. But then we also learned that there's an opponent and that's Satan. He wants to express Himself in and through you or stop God from expressing it. So there's a battle going on and that battle is for your will. And if you've ever dieted, <laughs> if you've ever determined not to do something you shouldn't do, you understand that there's a battle that goes on and your flesh keeps telling you to do it and your spirit's telling you not to do it. Romans 7 is Paul's description of that battle that he went, on, went, went through. And that's what the battle's for. The battle is for your will. Because Romans, the devil exercised influence through his mind and his flesh to make him decide to do what he wasn't supposed to do. But the devil can't make you do anything. Because if he could have made you do something, he would have made you not get saved. He couldn't stop that. He can't stop anything else. But what he can do, and he's very good at this, is he can influence you to exercise your will to do his will. And, and that's why uh, in Ephesians 6, Paul tells us about spiritual warfare. He says, look, the trouble you're having that the devil's giving you is not people. It's him using people. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Your problem is not your husband. Your problem is not your spouse. Your problem isn't even you. Spirits are using people. Your pro problem isn't your boss. Spirits use people because they have to express themselves through people to get at you, to influence you. So it's not your mother-in-law or your father-in-law. It's spirits that are using them unwittingly in many cases. And the, often it's the people closest to us. And it's Christians that he's able to use the most to, to try to, to hinder us. So the battle is for the will, but the battlefield where it's fought is in your mind. And what we're going to begin to look at tonight is we're going to look at how the mind works. And this is not a scientific study. We learned last time why this is so important. Because your mind is the gateway to what goes into your spirit and the gateway of what comes out. This is why the battle is for your mind. We saw last time that, that uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 tells us that Satan's, the, reason, how, the reasons, the means by which Satan stops unbelievers from believing, from blinding them, is he blinded the eyes of their understanding. So he blinds their minds so they can't understand. This is why the world tries to understand spiritual things and it can't understand them because they're spiritually discerned. They're not mentally discerned. And so Satan tries to confuse the mind. We looked at uh, uh, Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, where the first seed, which is the word of God, was, was sown on the road, so on a paved road, so that it could never take root. And it says what that represents is when Satan comes and steals understanding so that the word never, never takes root. We also looked at the fact that, that if you hear something and your mind doesn't have a concept of what it is, then it's not going to get down inside of you because your mind doesn't receive it. If you hear some teaching that, that your mind disagrees with, it's going to balk at it. So if I start teaching you some heresy that you've been taught you sh that isn't the truth, your mind will just balk at it if it's well-trained. And that's a good thing. Your mind should be discerning about what you're listening to and what you're letting down inside. In the same token, your mind controls what comes up out of you. We've all had the experience, I'm sure, at least I know I'm not the only one, because I had some of you raised your hands last time, where you know the Spirit of God tells you to do something. That's your spirit speaking to you, and now your mind starts reasoning about it. Well, you know, maybe I'll do it later. Maybe, the, maybe that wasn't God. Maybe, may, anytime, I'll give you a clue. This isn't, this isn't being led by the Spirit. Of course, I'm being led by the Spirit. But here's a clue. Certain key words tell you where it's coming from. When the word maybe goes through your mind, that's never God. Because maybe means I'm not sure. And God's always sure. God doesn't guess at things. Just like God doesn't have opinions. An opinion is an educated guess. And when you know everything, you don't have an opinion. You know it. So God never says, well, maybe... God says, do this or don't do this, or God tells you something, but He doesn't say maybe. So maybe always means you're in your mind. Maybe means you're reasoning about this, you're trying to understand it, figure it out. And now we learned that it's okay to figure out how to carry it out. That's what your mind was given to you. But it was never given to you to figure out whether to obey God. 
That's what they did in the Garden of Eden when they raised their mind above the Spirit and they started reasoning about the commandment of God, do not touch, do not eat of that fruit. So that's what we've covered before. Now we're going to begin to look tonight at how the mind works. This is not a science. I've, I've been given books by, about how the mind works and the left side of the brain and the right side and the cortexes and the different pieces of the brain and, and the, the chemicals and all those things. And they're wonderful to study. But that's not, the Bible's teaching us not from a scientific aspect, from a practical functioning aspect. And that's the part that we need to understand in order to renew our mind. So... The mind, and the first thing we're going to look at, and you can put the next slide up, just, just start there. The mind works in patterns of thoughts. The mind works in patterns. The devil exercised influence through his mind and his flesh to make him decide to do what he wasn't supposed to do. But the devil can't make you do anything, because if he could have made you do something, he would have made you not get saved. He couldn't stop that. He can't stop anything else. But what he can do, and he's very good at this, is he can influence you to exercise your will to do his will. And, and that's why uh, in Ephesians 6, Paul tells us about spiritual warfare. He says, look, the trouble you're having that the devil's giving you is not people. It's him using people. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Your problem is not your husband. Your problem is not your spouse. Your problem isn't even you. Spirits are using people. Your pro- problem isn't your boss. Spirits use people because they have to express themselves through people to get at you, to influence you. So it's not your mother-in-law or your father-in-law. It's spirits that are using them unwittingly in many cases. And often it's the people closest to us. And it's Christians that he's able to use the most to to try to, to hinder us. So the battle is for the will, but the battlefield where it's fought is in your mind. And what we're going to begin to look at tonight is we're going to look at how the mind works. And this is not a scientific study. We learned last time why this is so important. Because your mind is the gateway to what goes into your spirit and the gateway of what comes out. This is why the battle is for your mind. We saw last time that... that, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 tells us that Satan's, the reason, how the reasons, the means by which Satan stops unbelievers from believing, from blinding them, is he blinds the eyes of their understanding. So he blinds their minds so they can't understand. This is why the world tries to understand spiritual things and it can't understand them because they're spiritually discerned, they're not mentally discerned. And so Satan tries to confuse the mind. We looked at... Uh, uh, Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, where the first seed, which is the Word of God, was, was sown on the road, so on a paved road, so that it could never take root. And it says what that represents is when Satan comes and steals understanding so that the Word never, never takes root. We also looked at the fact that, that if you hear something and your mind doesn't have a concept of what it is, then it's not going to get down inside of you because your mind doesn't receive it. If you hear some teaching that, that your mind disagrees with, it's going to balk at it. So if I start teaching you some heresy that you've been taught you sh- that isn't the truth, your mind will just balk at it if it's well-trained. And that's a good thing. Your mind should be discerning about what you're listening to and what you're letting down inside. In the same token, your mind controls what comes up out of you. We've all had the experience, I'm sure, at least I know I'm not the only one, because I had some of you raised your hands last time, where you know the Spirit of God tells you to do something. That's your Spirit speaking to you, and now your mind starts reasoning about it. Well, you know, maybe I'll do it later. Maybe, the, maybe that wasn't God. Maybe, may, anytime, I'll give you a clue. This isn't, this isn't being led by the Spirit. Of course, I'm being led by the Spirit. But here's a clue. Certain key words tell you where it's coming from. When the word maybe goes through your mind, that's never God. Because maybe means I'm not sure. And God's always sure. God doesn't guess at things. Just like God doesn't have opinions. An opinion is an educated guess. And when you know everything, you don't have an opinion. You know it. So God never says, well, maybe. God says, do this or don't do this. Or God tells you something, but He doesn't say maybe. So maybe always means you're in your mind. Maybe means you're reasoning about this. You're trying to understand it, figure it out. And now we learn that it's okay to figure out how to carry it out. That's what your mind was given to you. But it was never given to you to figure out whether to obey God. 
That's what they did in the Garden of Eden when they raised their mind above the Spirit and they started reasoning about the commandment of God, do not touch, do not eat of that fruit. So that's what we've covered before. Now we're going to begin to look tonight at how the mind works. This is not a science. I've, I've been given books by, about how the mind works and the left side of the brain and the right side and the cortexes and the different pieces of the brain and, and the, the chemicals and all those things. And they're wonderful to study. But that's not, the Bible's teaching us not from a scientific aspect, from a practical functioning aspect. And that's the part that we need to understand in order to renew our mind. So... The mind, and the first thing we're going to look at, and you can put the next slide up, just, just start there. The mind works in patterns of thoughts. The mind works in patterns of thoughts. Every one of your minds is working right now in some kind of pattern of thoughts. And some of you may be looking at me and say, my mind has never worked in a pattern. Oh, yes, it does, because some of those patterns are logical and some of them are not logical. Some of those patterns are very disciplined, and some are very emotional, but they're still patterns of thoughts. And to understand how your mind works, see, in order to renew it, you've got to understand how it works, because you've got to gain mastery over it. And many of you are ruled by your mind, but you're not ruling your mind. And you've got to, one of the things we're going to learn is you are not your mind. We'll talk about that down the road. But the, to, in order to renew it, you've got to gain mastery over it. And for some of you, that's a foreign concept that looks overwhelming. How could I ever gain mastery over your mind? Because we're going to learn how it operates. And God's designed it in such a way, if He's told us to renew it, that means it's possible for us to do it. So it works in patterns of thoughts. Some of those patterns are logical. Some of them are emotional. Some of them are illogical. But all of them are patterns that we have developed over years of thinking. And these thoughts happen in, in almost, almost uh, immediate. They, they're, 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 they're almost in microseconds. But they're still thoughts. You're having thoughts right now. They may not be listening to me. They may be about what you're going to do tomorrow or what you're going to do when you get out of here. But there are thoughts. Your mind is never not thinking. It's always thinking. It's always active. You may have, you know, women, you may learn, turn to your husband and say, what are you thinking? He says, I don't know nothing. He's thinking something. He just may not know what it is. But his mind is never blank. There's no such thing as a mind that is not operating because your body is sending things to it all the time. Your mind's an amazing thing. It stores every experience you ever have, every odor you've ever smelled, every thought, every impression you've ever had. I had just yesterday something, I don't know what it triggered, I had something come back to me, a scene, and I couldn't remember whether it was a dream or it actually happened, but it was very clear to me. I've smelled something. I remember a couple of years ago, I smelled some perfume somewhere. It may have been in a store, and, and all of a sudden I was back sitting in my grandmother's arms 60 years ago, and she's been gone 40 years. Why? She wore that perfume, and it wasn't like my mind thought back and said, you know what, this is your grandmother's perfume. It triggered a, an association, a pattern, a connection in my mind, and immediately some of those emotions began to come back to me. Why? Because they're all packaged together in a pattern, and I'm sure many of you have experienced someone, and they're all in there. They're all still in there. Your mind is an amazing thing. It stores all of that, and we use so little of it. So little of it. All right. But we're, here's the key scripture we're going to look at. And, and when you go to this scripture, we're going to go to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse 4. Bring that one up. I'm going to bring it up here, I guess. This is the King James, and it's for a reason. For the weapons of our warfare... Now, Paul is talking in this section of scripture just so you understand why he's using these terms. Paul is talking about a spiritual warfare against ideologies that had, were trying to get into the church because the church at Corinth was a Greek church and the Greeks, their major thing was philosophy. Their favorite activity was debating theological ideas, philosophical ideas. They loved debating truth. And they didn't care what was the truth. They just loved debating them and arguing them. This is what Paul fell into when he started arguing in, in Athens on the, on the Aragopagus. And so Paul's talking about 
attitudes that they've had and struggles that they're dealing with and people that were coming against the church and against the teachings of Christ and of Paul with their own ideologies because the, the, the Word of God and the principles, the doctrine of the gospel ran right smack up against the philosophies of the world and there was a battle going on just like there is today. There's a battle going on, if you don't realize it, between the gospel and the philosophies of this world and the understanding and reasoning of this world. So Paul's talking about them, but he's also addressing it directly to them. So this is what these context of what he's talking about, but it's instructional to us because of several key words that he uses. And this is why I use the King James. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That means of the flesh. Paul's, uh, the New Living Standard, New Living Translation says, they're, they're not worldly. But flesh, I think, means more than that. Flesh means my own efforts. Do you ever, do you ever know if somebody just looks at you the wrong way or says something the wrong way and you're like, ah, that's flesh. You want to handle it your way. Pastor Sam used to have this expression, I want to kill them and tell God they died. <laughs> you know, I'll take care of the problem, God, and I'll repent later. And it's because that's always our flesh. And Paul's saying, but the, the, and, and this is a lesson the church needs to learn. Because I think that so often the church, and I'm not speaking necessarily about this church, but the church in general, so often the church in general, in this age, has fought spiritual battles with carnal weapons. We've used the weapons of the world. We've gotten angry at people. we protested against people. And there's nothing wrong with speaking your mind. But, but the, the, the only thing that's God's design, God's promise to back up are not carnal or worldly methods, but it's spiritual methods and spiritual weapons. And so Paul says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not of the flesh, but they're mighty through God. So the weapons that God has given to us, and we're going to study some of these at the end of our study, not tonight, but we're going to go over to the spiritual weapons that God's given to us to, to renew your mind. Because what we're going to discover is there are strongholds in your mind that need to be cast down. They're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. Go to the next verse. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. There's three words that are used in here. And this is why I use the King James. There's three words that are used in here that are the basis of how your mind works. And the first one, you can hit this first thing, is thoughts. And this is in reverse order because the last thing he talks about, thoughts. Thoughts are the basic unit with which your mind works. I've read a number of books on renewing the mind, and this tends to be the one that they skip. They jump to the next two, but they don't deal with this one. But everything else that we're going to talk about is based on this thing. Everything your mind does is based on thoughts. And that becomes an important foundation to understand because in order to renew your mind, it's got to start by changing your thoughts. So thoughts are the basic piece of information, the basic unit that your mind works with. The next one. Imaginations. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So what we're talking, Paul's talking about here is not just your thoughts, but casting down imaginations. And the way you cast down imaginations is by taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. But go back to verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God. So the very purpose of this is pulling down strongholds. So hit the third thing over here. Strongholds. So the three things we're going to talk about that these two verses talk about are thoughts, imaginations, and strongholds. And we're going to talk about them in that order because it's important. Because what this is all about, renewing your mind, is all about tearing down strongholds. But before you can tear down strongholds, you've got you to undermine, you've got to take apart what they're made up of. Because strongholds are made up of imaginations, and imaginations are made up of thoughts. So in order to tear down strongholds, the way we do it is by tearing down, changing the thoughts. But I want to start by going through what these basic things are. 
So thoughts, now the reason I, um, all right, go to verse, go to, go to verse 14, uh, verse, the next verse, 5. Casting down imaginations. All right, so thoughts are the basic piece of, of information. An imagination is a picture in your mind. And uh, we'll talk more about this in detail, but, but uh, a dream, a picture in your mind. If I say to you, apple, and you think of an apple, you're not thinking of the chemical makeup of an apple. You're not thinking, you're th- you get a picture of an apple in your mind. And f- you each may get a little different picture of an apple depending on what apple means to you. Some of you may think of a computer. Um, but if you're going to picture something in your mind. That's an imagination. Now, I want to s- dwell here for a moment because the reason I'm using the King James here is it uses the word imaginations, but other translations will use reasonings and some other use other things. The actual Greek word here that is imagination means more than just letting your imagination run. It means a system of organized thoughts that are designed to, pro- to present a particular image or concept. I'm going to go over that again. It's a system of organized thoughts that are designed for a purpose and to present an image or a picture of something that is a stronghold. It's a philosophy. It's a concept. It's an ideology of something. And we're running up against this as the church all over the place today. There's a whole ideology now. There's a whole image now. There's a whole system of reasonings that present what sexual gender is today. And it's not my purpose to get into that tonight, but you know what I'm talking about when I talk about that. I was raised in a day and age when it was very easy to tell a boy from a girl. Okay? Nowadays, they've got to wait for a certain age to decide what you are. That's a whole change in ideology. A basic change on what the, when the basic identity of a man and a woman is. And I'm not here to debate that. I'm here to say there's an ideology of what that is. There's a concept and a whole background of reasoning because I have stood, sat, in, in uh, hearing rooms in, le- in the legislature here in Rhode Island while these ideologies were presented. And I've heard the Christian explanation of it, and I've heard the, non, the world's explanation of it, and they're in direct conflict with each other. Direct conflict to a war conflict. And it may well get worse. That's what an imagination means, the word imagination means. It's a system of thoughts, of organized reasonings that are not just random, that they present an ideology, they present a point, and that eventually becomes a stronghold in a society. And that's what Paul's talking about. And there's a spiritual battle going on in, in, in the world today between the gospel and its ideology and its system of thinking and the world's ideology about almost everything. And that's what Paul's addressing here. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about the battle within you and the battle within me. And so the word that's most appropriate for that, for this, is, is an imagination. But it's made up the same thing. It's patterns of thoughts. And notice that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. So in the world today, there is an organized system of philosophy, of theology that's invading the church as well as the world and the ultimate purpose of it is to exalt itself and that word exalt has the implication of arrogance. The Greek word that's behind that implies an arrogant exalting itself against what? The knowledge of God, of what God is really like and who He really is. So that gives you some understanding of what's going on in the world. There's this major spiritual battle for the identity of who God is and what His place is and whether He's honored. But that's going on within you and that's going on within me because that battle is won and fought through individuals. It's not won and fought through institutions. And so in your mind, the way your mind thinks, the pattern of thoughts in your mind has put together different pictures and in some cases, they're inhibiting or they're restricting your knowledge of what God's really like. 
Religion is a good example of that. Many of you are related in religion. Relig- we all were related, well, not all, but most of us were raised in some kind of religious tradition. And Paul, uh, Jesus said, the traditions of man make the word of God of no effect. The traditions of man, the reasonings of man, the imaginations, the thought process of man, the image of who they've made God into be by our own thinking restricts the power of the Word of God in the world today and in the church and in our lives. So imaginations are pictures and strongholds are when those pictures become so strongly in us that they're ingrained in us to the point that we don't even have to have a conscious thought. Thoughts are what Satan uses. Some of them are very clear. Some of them are very subtle. We're receiving thoughts all the time. So part of what I'm going to train you to do is to learn how to identify your thoughts. Many of you have no idea when you're thinking about something, but it's affecting you. And so we need to be able to learn to go back and identify, whoa, what was my thought about that? And I'm going to train you how to do that. Some of you, like I was raised, I thought about my thoughts too much and I had to learn to be aware of them enough to let go of them in order just to live because I analyzed myself too much. So, thoughts are the basic unit of your mind. It's what Satan uses. Some are very clear and some are very distinct and some are very subtle and they're very fleeting so you're not even aware of them. Imaginations are the pictures in your mind. They're made up of a mosaic of thoughts that form over a period of time. It's a mental image. It's made up of tiny little dots that determine the picture. And the image affects our will. You don't react to the thoughts, you react to the picture that the thought creates. And what you can do, or it tells you what you can do or what you can't do. And strongholds are when the image becomes so established that it becomes a reality in your mind whether it's really there or not. It's real to us whether it's true or not. And one thought, you know it's, an imag- you know it's a stronghold when one thing triggers a whole reaction. I remember one time, and I may share more of this with you, but, but, but years ago I was uh, not, long, not far before my father passed away. Um, and I was in my mid-40s. I was a successful lawyer in a large firm at the time. And he called me and was upset about something, and he was completely wrong about it. He had misinformation, but he didn't bother to find out from me what the truth was. He just laid into me on the phone. And for 40 minutes, I sat on the phone while he just got mad at me. And I would say a word here or there. And I got off the phone. Finally, he calmed down, and I hung up. And my wife turned to me. She says, why in the world did you let him talk to you that way for 45 minutes? I said, you don't understand. The moment I heard my father's voice, I was 10 years old. That 10-year-old inside of me took over. And some of you understand what I'm talking about. There was a stronghold built into me through a whole series of experiences, and all I had to do was hear a voice. There's still sometimes a phone, just to hear a phone ring will trigger something in me. That's not, I don't go back and think that through. I had to go back and think that through afterwards. That's a stronghold. It was controlling me, and it was not rational at all. My wife, who didn't have that stronghold, looking at how I'm, what I'm doing, said, what in the world are you doing? I mean, you're successful. It's not like you're a little boy. You're 45 years old. You're a success in life, and your father's talking. You're letting him talk to you that way. I mean, if she wasn't suggesting I'd be disrespectful, she said, but you, I froze. Didn't freeze in a courtroom. Didn't freeze with my clients. But I froze on the phone with somebody I couldn't even see. Why? because there was a stronghold established. Well, by God's grace, I began to take that apart with some of the things that I'm... The things I'm teaching in this course are things I've learned by tearing down some strongholds in my life. That's what a stronghold is. A stronghold is when a husband and wife are sitting at the table, breakfast table, and she looks at him a certain way and he blows up. No words were said. There were no conscious thoughts. It's a firmly established pattern to the point that it's controlling them and triggering a reaction. And so in marital counseling, you have, to un- you have to go back, really, and change those images that are formed of each other over the years and by changing the pattern of thoughts. So that's what a stronghold is. 
So we're going to begin tonight to go through the first element of this, and that's the thoughts. Again, a thought is the basic unit of your mind. It's, the, it's what your mind uses. Everything in our mind starts with thoughts. Everything that happens in your mind starts with thoughts. So you're going to learn some things about yourself tonight. Your emotions starts with thoughts. Emotions, this will be the price of admission for the whole course. Your emotions don't just come out of nowhere. Now some of you are more emotional than others and generally, this is just a general rule, it doesn't always happen, generally women are more emotional than men. But I've known some men that were more emotional than their wives. So it doesn't always hold true. So some of us, let's put it that way, are more emotional than others. So if you're an extremely emotional person or you're married to an extremely emotional person, understand this, that those emotions don't just change with the, with the air temperature. They don't just change with the barometer. They don't just change with, with the change in wind. Those emotions are always based on thoughts, but the thoughts are so fast and so often they trigger strongholds that the emotional reaction comes before you're even aware of the connection of the thoughts. And I can prove it to you. Suppose you're in the process, suppose you're married, and you're in the process of having an intense, deep discussion with your spouse. And your emotions are flaring up. I mean, you're, they're at fever pitch. And you're just, you know, you're almost on the edge of losing it. And they've just gained control of you. And the phone rings. And you go over and pick up the phone and you say, yes! And it's me on the other end. <laughs> and I'm saying, how are you doing? What's going to happen to your emotions? You're going to get control of them right away. And they're going to begin to change. Why? Because you changed your thought patterns. Because your emotions follow your thoughts. And I've learned to go back, when I'm having an emotion, to go back and identify what the thought is, and that's a valuable thing to do. Because if you can change the thought, you'll change the emotions. Fear is a very strong emotion. But you can go back and, and establish, once you train yourself, the pattern of thoughts that led you to that fear. Because the fear doesn't come from the thoughts. The fear comes from the image that the thoughts create. And we'll talk about those in just a minute. So the first thing under thoughts is to realize that everything you go through, you have a thought about, and those thoughts control it. So your emotions are the result of thoughts. So your emotions can be changed by changing your thoughts. What you believe starts with thoughts. That's what, that's what propaganda is. That's what indoctrination is. That's what the Soviets, that's what the communists learned years ago. They would, when, when they would capture their, the prisoners, they took them through a process called brain washing. Not heart washing, not body washing, brain washing. And the idea was they wanted to wash away all the old strongholds, all the old images that had been built up through their society, through their religious upbringing, everything that they had had been built into their soldiers' lives through their upbringing, through their training as a soldier that would allow them to stand strong through whatever they were going to go through as a prisoner of war. They had wanted to undermine that and wear it down and wash those strongholds away, and then reprogram their minds with new thoughts that would create new images, that would create new strongholds that now they could control. So when the communists took over in, 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 in um, uh, Russia, they took a certain uh, people over a certain age and they just let them go. They didn't worry about them. They weren't going to change them. And they started with the younger generations and they took them away from their parents and their grandparents and they put them in school so they didn't have, want to have any kind of old influence reinforcing those old thought patterns and those old images because they wanted to be able to start fresh with them. And they started fresh with them of who the government was, who they were, what their place was, whether they had any separate dignity. They went to the very foundational issues of life and how they see themselves and how they see the government and how they see people around them. And they began to reprogram how they thought so they could raise a generation. My wife, when she was a 
was a, an, she's an, when she's an RN, she worked with geriatric patients. And one of the ladies that she worked with um, had come over to this country, I think 10 years earlier, from communist Russia. And uh, she would take me, because we were trying to witness to her, and I would go over with my wife, and my, she loved my wife, and we would go over there and have tea with her and talk to her and try to talk to her about the Lord. And, and she said, well, you know, I'm, I watched your program on TV because I'm trying to learn English. Wonderful woman. She, had, she, was, a, she was an engineer, wasn't she, in Russia. Brilliant woman. And I'm trying to talk to her about the Lord. And, and she finally looked at me. She says, you have to understand. I was raised all my life indoctrinated with the idea there is no God. It's very hard for me to change that. And I began to understand that that her whole, there was a stronghold in her mind that God did not exist. So everything I would tell her, she would reinterpret in terms of, well, that's your emotions, that's your experience, but that doesn't relate to me because her mind was operating with everything I was saying, was filtering it through this basic understanding that there is no God. And so that's a hard thing to get through. So that's what thoughts are. Okay. So in order to renew your mind, you simply have to change your thoughts. And this is another important, this, this one's also worth the price. Listen carefully. It's not what you see or what you hear that affects you. It's not what you see or what you hear that affects you. It's what you think about what you see and what you hear. Go over that again. It's not what you see or you hear that affects you. It's what you think about what you see and what you hear that affects you. I began to understand that when, when one of our, actually our youngest boy, when he was a little boy just trying to learn to walk, and he was toddling along and he lost his balance and he fell down and he hit his head on something. And I was very observant then. And I noticed him when he hit his head. It wasn't serious. It wasn't cut. He bumped his head on the floor. And the very first thing he did, he was still very small, is instead of crying and grabbing his head, he looked up to me. He didn't know how to react to that. He was looking to me to interpret what that meant. Because he didn't have experience. He never bumped his head like that before. And I tried something. Instead of going, oh, oh, oh my goodness, what happened to you? Oh, you poor little thing. I've just taught him what that means. But instead, I just kind of swooped him up and just went right on as if nothing happened. And he never cried. He never, you know, obviously, if he was seriously hurt, that's different. But he was trying to figure out from me how to interpret what he just experienced. Back in um, World War II, in the I've forgotten which one of the uh, which one of the internment camps in, in Nazi Germany, um, but I don't know it was Dachau, whichever one it was. But one of the men, that, young people that was imprisoned there, was a man named Viktor Frankl, and he wrote a book. He wrote several books. He wrote a whole system of of, of time management and other th of thinking. But he's being beaten by these guards, he's being, everything's been, their identity's taken away from him, they were tattooed and they're no name, they have a number, and it was, you know, you've seen the horrors, I'm sure, if you've seen some of the documentaries. And he just made a decision. He wasn't a Christian. He made a decision. They've taken my name away from me, they've taken my family away from me, they've taken my home away from me, they've taken my dignity away from me, they've taken everything away from me. The one thing they can't take away from me is my will. They can't tell me how I'm going to react to them. Everybody else around them was angry, resentful, everybody else. And he said, I am not going to let them take my will away from me. I'm not going to allow them to tell me how I'm going to react to them. Instead, I'm going to be kind back to them. I'm going to be grateful back to them. I'm going to do favors for them. Now, he may not have realized it, but he's acting right out of Matthew chapter 5 and 6. He's acting right out of the Beatitudes. 
He's acting Christ-like. He didn't even do it for that motivation. The result is he began to change the atmosphere in his, in his particular cabin. The guards began to treat him differently. And he came out, whereas almost nobody else in his cabin survived, he survived and he survived well. He chose how he was going to react to the same thing that happened to everybody else. It wasn't easy, but he realized he had the power to choose, and it was by his thinking process. So the point is this, and this is a trap of the devil. He wants you to think you're victims of everything that happens to you. He wants you to think that, that he can control whether you're happy or sad, he wants you to think he control whether you're enjoying life or, or having a miserable life. He wants you to think that all that's determined by the circumstances around you. And it's not determined by that at all. It's determined by a piece of wet meat that's located between your left ear and your right ear. It's determined by what you think about what happens to you. It's entirely... And if, stop and think about it. If God gave us sovereignty over our will in this life... Why would anything have the right to take power to take it away from us? So the devil can't make your day or ruin your day. Only you can. It's how you choose to react. And the reaction is based on what you think about what happened. You get up this morning and you look out and you see it's pouring rain. And then you go and turn on the TV and you listen to the weather report. And it's interesting because while we were away, my wife was pointing out to me, all the things are now called storm trackers. This is rain. <laughs> this is rain. It rained today. And they call them storm trackers. And what was it? You remember what the other thing was? Something like that. It's all in this dramatic, you know, they're taking it to another level. The word storm has a very different connotation to it than rain. Storm means we better batten down the hatches. We better go buy milk and bread. You know, it's rain. And now they're talking about Joachim's coming. And he may come or not. I looked, the last thing I looked, they still have no clue. But they're talking about it. Now listen, while they talk about it and while we listen to it, we begin to think about it. And one of the principles you're going to learn is the more you think about something, the bigger it gets in your mind. So the point here is this. Thoughts, it's not what you see or what you hear that affects you. It's the thought that you choose to have. In fact, it's almost always the next thought. I remember one time years ago, I had had my physical like on a Tuesday or Wednesday. And Friday afternoon, I come home from work. I was still practicing law. I come home from work, I don't know, 5, 30, 6 o'clock, and there's a light flashing on the answering machine. So I picked the button. It says, Hello, John. This is Dr. Bradley's office. Please call us Monday morning. Thank you. That's all it said. He could have been calling to say hello. But what does my mind begin to do? My mind begins to play. Oh, you had your physical. Okay. They did the blood work. And now they're calling to. to they're going to call you because there's something wrong. And between Friday night. And Monday morning, I had myself almost in the grave. I had worked with... This is where I learned all this stuff, by trying to get control of my own mind. I had myself with tubes coming out of me. I mean, I was... You might as well, you know, call the undertaker, get ready, because this thing's over, and I don't know what he wants. But my mind went and began to run with it. And the more I ran with it, the more I began to create an image in my mind of what this was going to mean. I called Monday morning in great fear and trepidation. They wanted me to just retake a test because they, did, they lost the results. That's all there was. And I ruined my weekend. And that's when I began to realize, whoa, wait a minute, there's a problem here. 
you need to get control of these thoughts because it's destroying you. You'll end up with an ulcer if you don't do that. Now, where do thoughts come from? There are several sources. Some thoughts come from right up in your spirit because God is talking to you. Some thoughts come from demons. They can speak to you. Some thoughts actually come from you. You come up with your own thoughts. And then there are thoughts that come from other people. In other words, they can come from almost anywhere. So we're going to learn it's very important that you learn to discern where they're coming from. Because where they're coming from tells you why they've come. Where they're coming from tells you why they've come. Thoughts are often unnoticed and seem very insignificant. This is why you have emotional reactions and don't know why. If you were able to go back and trace your thoughts, you'd realize, that's why I'm afraid. And I've had that sometimes. I've been driving along and realize I had this happen years ago. Uh, it's happened recently, but I can remember this example more clearly. I remember this is when I was still working in, in Worcester. So it was an hour drive back and forth. And I'm driving along um, in the morning to work, an hour drive. I'm listening to faith tapes or something like that and, you know, and realizing there's a tightness in my stomach. And that's, that's usually is not a... For me, that means there's fear, a low grade of fear. There's some fears, you know, <gasps> but this was a low grade of fear. I wasn't even aware I was feeling it until I realized there was a tightness in my stomach. And so I began to think, why, why am I afraid? I, mean, I can't think of anything. It's not like, you know, there's some disaster about to happen. It's not like we're about to lose our house or, you know, it's not, I can't think of what it is. So I began to say, all right, what have you been thinking about lately? And I began to kind of replay the thoughts in my mind. And I realized what I've been doing is I'm driving along conscious that the car I'm driving is old and it's wearing out. And I've been looking at new cars flying by me and that's not a very serious thought. That's a new car going by. That's a nice new car. And then the next thought is, well, you're going to need to get a new car. Well, to me, one of the most challenging things is I don't like buy, going to sh buy cars. I don't like that process. Some things I don't mind, but buying cars is, to you, it may be the thrill of your life. To me, it's, it's not. <laughs> and I began to, what happened was, I was beginning to be anxious, anticipating the process without even thinking about it consciously because I was piecing thoughts together. But if, when I went and replayed the thoughts, I understood now why I was feeling anxious. And the ang See, this is why I told you earlier, emotions are signals of something. They're partly for enjoying life, but there's, it was a signal to me, uh-oh, something's wrong in your thinking. And when I went back and traced what it was, then I could, un take, they could take that apart and begin to change it with the right kind of thinking. Well, I'm going to start this example and then we probably won't finish it. So thoughts are, almost, are often unnoticed and they seem insignificant, but they're all significant. Every thought that comes into your mind is significant because every thought that comes into your mind ultimately has as a purpose to create some image in your mind. And we'll see that when we get into images. So a thought comes to your mind. It either comes from God, it comes from Satan, it comes from other people, or it comes from you. Now, it doesn't take a genius to figure out a thought that comes from God and a thought that comes from Satan have very different purposes. Because the Bible tells us in John 10.10 10, that the thief comes only. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come, God, that you might have life and life more abundantly. Satan's major, listen carefully, Satan's primary way of coming to steal, kill, and destroy is through thoughts. So he brings thoughts to you that have the purpose behind them of stealing something, most likely your peace or your joy, killing something in you, or destroying, or ultimately exalting themselves against the knowledge of God. God wants to bring thoughts to you 
that are designed to bring you life and life more abundantly. So it's kind of important to know where they're coming from. Now we'll bring this down to this, and I'll start this, and I won't be able to finish it. But you've all had the experience, I'm sure, and we're getting into the holiday season, where your doorbell rings, and you go to your door, and you open it up, and there's a lady or a man standing there in a brown uniform with a brown hat on and a package in their hand and three initials on their head, right? U-P-S. And they ring the door. Listen carefully. You open the door, and what are they going to do? They hand you the package. But you notice what they require? Once you hand the package, now they present you with some electronic device. And what do they want you to do? They want you to sign for it. Now, I had a friend that was a UPS delivery man years ago when I taught, first started talking to them. And I asked him, I said, what happens if you don't sign for it? He said, they've got to take it back. Now, listen carefully. They come to your door with a package. They didn't wrap the package. They didn't go to the store and buy the package. They're just a delivery boy or man or woman from somebody that's sending it to you. And they're sending it to you for some purpose. Maybe you ordered something. Maybe it's Christmas and it's a relative that's sending something to you. Back when my wife's parents were alive, her father would package this big package because they lived in Ohio when we lived in Boston and they would, he would wrap these Christmas packages and goodies and all kinds of things. It was kind of the highlight of the year and this big package would show up at the door and we're wondering, I wonder if that's from Grandpa and Grandma Trenner. I wonder if it's from... And what we, the first thing we do is what? look at the return address because the return address tells you who sent it. And who sent it tells you what the purpose was for why they sent it. So we knew if this said Trenner, Dayton, Ohio wanted, that it was full of goodies and we wanted them. And we would gather around and we'd open it up and we'd have to put the wrap packages under the tree, but the Esther Price candies and all the other goodies, that he was a wonderful cook. All these cookies and things he'd made, oh, we'd bring them out. Oh, it's so exciting. But the reason we knew it was safe and a blessing to open it is we knew where it came from. But what do most of us do, including us? Ding dong. The door opens, and what happens? That person stands there. They hand you the package, and they say, please sign here. We sign here. They say, thank you. Close the door, and they leave, and then we look to see where it came from. Guess what? It's now yours. Years ago, after I'd gone to college, my, one of my brothers was doing experiments. Uh, and he had to order from a catalog frogs to do something with. And he ordered them. And it was, they were from somewhere in Louisiana. And they shipped the, these, this frog fourth-class mail. When it arrived, what he didn't realize is because the frogs are not likely to survive... They didn't ship one, they shipped four. And they were Louisiana bullfrogs wrapped in this package for I don't know how many days. And the delivery guy, I wasn't there, I've heard the story, delivered them, they brought them in the house, and my brother opened the package, and now you've got four bullfrogs that have a moment's opportunity for freedom. And you know what they're going to do. They were all over the place. And trying to get those bullfrogs back in some kind of container was a long process. Here's where that applies to us. A thought comes to your mind. Ding dong. It's come from somewhere. Ding dong. It's your door. You have the right, in fact, you have the responsibility for deciding what comes in your house and what doesn't come in your house. You have the same right power and responsibility to decide what comes in your mind and what doesn't come in your mind. And when a thought comes to you, ding dong, 
the doorbell's rung. That door opens when you entertain the thought. Now you have a responsibility before you sign for that thought to look at the return address. Because the return address tells you where it came from and tells you what its purpose is. And if that return address says H-E-L-L on it, you don't want to sign for it. So here's what we got to learn. Before I just take thoughts in, i got to decide where they've come from and what their purpose is because I can say no to that a whole lot easier at the door by not signing it. It's still his responsibility to take it back than when I've taken it in, signed the package, opened it up, and the bullfrogs are all over the place or the thoughts are now loose in your mind. And you've got to try to gather them back in and get control of them again. We're going to have to end here. We'll pick up here next time because the hour is late. But I wanted to at least start that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for giving us understanding of how you've designed our minds to work so that we can gain the ascendancy and control over our thoughts, over our imaginations, and ultimately to tear down the strongholds. Father, help us in this week that's ahead to become more conscious of our thoughts and recognize that we can discern and control what thoughts we're going to entertain or what thoughts we're going to say no to. And we thank you for that ability in Jesus' name. Amen.